It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Schmelk Metal with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. We'll try to squeeze in your number, uh, your calls, rather, throughout the call today if you give us a call to that number. But a busy day. We have three schools on our prospect list, Tulane, Miami, and Texas. And we're going to lead off with a school that had a really, really nice year in college football this year. The Tulane Green Wave, their play-by-play man is Corey Glore. He joins us right now on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Corey, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How you doing today, man? I'm doing well, boys. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for having us. And I'll tell you, you must have had a lot of fun calling games this season, you know, talking Tulane football here. Because, boy, there are some really impressive players, and it starts with Tajay Spears, one of my favorite guys to watch in this class. I know you look at his height and weight, and this is where I'll start, Corey, and you say, smallish guy, but, boy, he's like a pinball. He gets hit. He stays up. He's like a weeble-wobble. He just doesn't fall down. His balance is unbelievable, and he is just a big play wing to happen in both the run game and the pass game. He's fun to watch. And he was probably the most fun player I've watched in my time here at Tulane. You're right that the size doesn't blow you out of the water, but what he is able to do is pretty otherworldly. He breaks through every arm tackle. His cutting ability is second to none. And this is a guy who had a couple of ACL tears in his time playing the sport, and he has still looked like this, especially on the biggest stages. So, and with what he did and. You know, the Cotton Bowl, the lead-up to the Cotton Bowl, the Senior Bowl, he broke out, and then the, the draft combine, he's won over a lot of people, and I think a lot of NFL teams have certainly been won over by him as well. It's something that we've seen here at Tulane for a couple of years, and now, now the world has been able to see it. Corey, when it comes to his ability as a receiver, mainly that jumps out to me, the fact that you're going to keep him on the field for third down. So how is he pass protection-wise How has he improved even in that department? You know, I would talk about this with head coach Willie Fritz pretty much weekly about not just what Tajay's playmaking ability was, but his ability to make plays for others. And Coach Fritz has been pretty adamant about how he has really never missed an assignment in his past year in terms of blocking assignment, in terms of being in the right spot, in terms of being a receiver at times and splitting him out wide. He runs the wildcat from time to time. Well, whatever they've asked him to do, Tajay really exceeded at this year, and, and the blocking ability was really pointed out by Coach Fritz throughout the season as a huge part as to why this aerial game wound up being as successful as it was not just Spears on the ground. He was terrific blocking. You mentioned uh, the two ACLs. Anything they've had to do with loan management with him, Corey, where they've had to manage those knees, or has it almost looked like they never happened? You know, but it, it looked like it never happened for most of this past year. They kind of eased him into the, the start of the year a little bit this past season. He really didn't fully recover until about midway through the 21 season. Uh, and then once he did, he looked like his old self. But you're talking about a guy where in the last regular season game of the year at Cincinnati, he played every snap, and that was a must-win game at Cincinnati. So there was no load management issue 
uh, as the year went along for Tajay Spears. Really about a month into the year, he was full go, and he was uh, a monster to end the year. Well, Corey, from that standpoint, I think the concern with running backs in the NFL is the wear and tear, especially those that are four-year starters in college. So the fact that he only played in seven games in his first two years and it jumped up to 25 in the last two, how appealing do you think that is to teams who may not worry about him having a lot of mileage on his body as he jumps into the NFL here? Yeah, it's going to be, I think, a selling point for him. And on top of that, we mentioned really his versatility, too, and his ability to be a pass catcher, his blocking ability. He's been asked to do a lot in his time at Tulane. And, again, he doesn't have the the game reps and and the game workload that a lot of other running backs might have around the country. And so um, there is a lot more mileage in those tires here for Tajay Spears, and he can do pretty much what any offensive coordinator will ask him to do, and so that's why you've seen him rock it up so quickly on many draft boards from what was kind of a day three guy to start, now pretty firmly into day two. The other guy, Corey, I want to talk to you about is Dorian Williams, the linebacker. He tested very well in terms of speed, not the biggest guy, just 6'1", 228. His jumps were fine, but he ran a 4'49". Tell fans what they would get if their team drafted Dorian Williams in the middle rounds. Uh, a pretty tenacious linebacker who was also asked to kind of drop into coverage quite a bit this past year. The way Tulane played defense, it was mainly a zone defense. And so he didn't have a lot of pass rushing uh, attempts, but what he was able to do in one-on-one coverage against tight ends, even against receivers at times, was pretty impressive. He is a shifty linebacker, and he doesn't miss tackles either. And so 6'2", 230, that's about 45 pounds added from when he started at Tulane. Wow. Uh, and now he's turned into really a, your typical kind of like ferocious linebacker who also was asked to be a little bit of a cover linebacker during the course of this past season. Now, he put, real quick, Lance, I'm sorry. He, he played mostly outside for you guys, right? So he wouldn't be a, your traditional Mike linebacker, correct? Correct. Uh, Nick Anderson was primarily the, the Mike linebacker for this team, so he was more outside, but he would go up the middle, run up to the A-gap when he was asked to pass rush at times, too. Got it. Corey, the phrase I always hear about Dorian Williams is he's built like a defensive back, he plays like a linebacker. I think that's everybody's analysis across college football. How valid is a statement like that? And at the NFL level, given the fact that the claim is he's built like a DB, how much versatility do you think he has in coverage given the fact that he lacks the pass-rushing skill set that you just talked about? Yeah, I think I think that's part of why they were comfortable with, with dropping him into some coverage looks last year. And Tulane was, was you know, four-point pass rush more often than not, but they would also default to three quite a bit. So that would ask Dorian to really be in man coverage. And so he was able to kind of flex those muscles a little bit this past year and he was rarely getting beat, if at all, when he was being asked to drop back beyond the second level. And so if NFL teams ask him to do that, he will definitely be up for the challenge. And there's some game film of him doing that already this year. Both these guys as people, Corey, give us some insight. I'd like to hear about the people that are around these guys at, at their schools. Uh, what type of person will teams be getting in these two guys if they bring them into their locker room? Well, I think what, what you've seen from Tajay Spears is not only has he won over people, which is what he showcased on the field and, and the stuff they did at the Senior Bowl certainly turned a lot of heads, but when people actually got to talk to him uh, and you heard this, the, the type of human being that he is, this is a guy who grew up on the North Shore here, just north of New Orleans, and 
He had to fight through a lot of things for the opportunity to play Division One football, and um, he is a very humble and driven individual. And so you're getting an incredible character here as well in Tajay Spears, let alone one of the best running backs in the class this year. And Dorian Williams is about as outgoing and extroverted as you get, but he's a, he was a defensive captain the last couple of seasons for this team. He was leaned on by this group as, as someone that people look to. And it was the position that's been really the strongest for Tulane on the defensive side of the ball in Willie Fritz's tenure, and he is going to leave here as one of the best to ever do it. And so um, what those two guys are as human beings is going to make as big of an impact on an NFL team as maybe what they do on the field because they're leaving Tulane with some high marks reputation-wise. Corey, you brought up Nick Anderson. They also have two wide receivers in Mikel Jones and Deuce Watts. What's the chances that any of those three perhaps get drafted or what they could potentially bring to the NFL? You know, I, I think I think it's pretty well. Dorian and Tajay are pretty firmly in the draft. I would put Nick Anderson maybe in the mix here on a day three. I think what a lot of folks will wonder about him is if there's a position for him. He was, he was an all-world linebacker here, but he's smaller than Dorian Williams, and so... I think there's a spot for him somewhere, and whether it's special teams or, or learning how to be you know, a kind of a fullback-type player, like he could do that because he he's, will be asked to do a lot of different things at the next level. Um, whether it's a draft situation, we'll, we'll see here. Uh, you got a couple of receivers that you mentioned there in terms of Shea Wyatt, Deuce Watts, that became go-to weapons this year. Wyatt's a good possession receiver, and Watts is a good – big play threat. There's also a nickelback by the name of Macon Clark that I would put on your radar who was asked to play corner, asked to play safety, and asked to play nickel in his time at Tulane. He was an all-conference performer the last couple of years, and so I think he will have a shot to wind up on a team somewhere. Whether these are day three guys, I think that's the question, but the, the similar quality that they share with Tajay and Dorian is that they're leaving here uh, as one of the best to ever do at their positions. Uh, and so we'll see if an NFL team is able to notice those qualities as well as they have with Spears and Williams. Corey, good stuff, my man. We appreciate the time. Enjoy beautiful New Orleans. Justin Berger sends his regards. Our stats guy up here. (laughs) Uh, It was good to talk to you, and uh, enjoy. We'll talk to you next year. Thanks, Corey. Thank you, fellas. Appreciate it. Corey Gore, play-by-play. Everything Tulane, not just football. I think he's doing baseball right now for them, too. So uh, a lot going on. We hope to get... Uh, Aaron Hogan up shortly, who covers the Texas Longhorns for the Eyes on Texas Football podcast. He's also on the Horn down in Texas. Uh, until then, Lance, very quickly, I love Tajay Spears. Like You watch his tape and his video and see what he's done against bigger conference opponents. You can't bring him down. He's so elusive. That's, I think, the best word to describe him as. He's sure. awesome contact balance. Like, you know, for the people that are old enough, those old weeble wobbles where you kind of tip them and they just pop back up again, you can't knock the guy down. And I don't think at, you know, 200 and change, he's probably in every down back, but I don't think that matters in the NFL anymore. Well, very few teams rely on one guy anyway. And he's such a good receiver. You put him on the field on your most important downs. This guy is going to help whatever team drafts him win a lot of football games. And despite the fact I think he's only a part-time back because of that impact, late second round, I would be fine drafting Tajay Spears. I think he's that good. Well, there's definitely going to be a team that's going to draft a running back come the second round. I'd be surprised if nobody gets off the board. I think from the Giants' standpoint, though, if we're applying it to their logic, once again, I think they're in decent shape for this season. 
You know, Saquon bringing him back on the franchise tag as it stands right now. You re-signed a few guys. And I also think, once again, Brightwell is still a young enough guy with upside. Yeah, I wouldn't rely that, on him, though. He's a the, seventh-round pick. He, no, barely, no. he barely was a running back in college. Sure, you know? but I, my point is, I don't think there's a drastic need right now for a running back on this roster. This I think year, between no. Breida and Barkley and that. Brightwell, I think you're fine. And I do don't think running back is a position you necessarily future-proof. I think that's a position you can draft somebody and put them right in. Yeah, the year of. The correct. The draft. Exactly. Yeah, you don't right. have to no, I'm with think you on that. five years down the road or whatever it may be. So, you know, a number of these guys that we're talking about, are they on the Giants' radar? Perhaps if the value makes sense. I just don't think it's a huge necessity right now based on other needs and the overall construction of this roster. And we should point out there are reports circulating. Uh, Kim Jones had the initial one. The Giants are not confirming them. We are not either. We're just repeating the report. Uh, that Saquon will not sign the franchise tag or, or show up when the players arrive for offseason workouts on Monday. Which is not surprising. No. I'm, you know, yeah. We talked about that being a possibility if they can't get something done. So, not shocking. That's a trend across the NFL for guys that normally are given the tag. Yeah, 100%. Especially running backs. It's just something that, that's probably yeah. not. The question is, you know, is it July 31st? Is it August 15th? Is it September 1st? When are we going to see him? That's the question. I have no doubt whenever he shows up, he's going to be in great shape and be ready to go. That's the type of guy in person that he is and player that he is. But when does he show up? Who knows? Remember, it's a trade-off. Once you sign the tag, you have to show up. So it depends on what Barkley's mindset is. I think right now, if they don't have him in-house, if the reports are accurate, I don't think it's detrimental to the team. Here's the good news. He already played one year in the system. He knows the offense. In an ideal world, do Brian Dable and Mike Kafka want him here? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any coach that would say they don't want a player present, but you're at least communicating with a player, depending on how things go over the course of the offseason, who has the framework of the offense already in his head. So you're going to implement new things, but I don't think it's going to be one of those situations where, John, if you had a brand new quarterback you had a lot of new personnel, and you were like, okay, hey, there's value having a guy in here. Or you had a new coordinator, right? right? You'd want your player present. It's not one of those things. You actually have continuity. And I think if he misses the spring and he arrives in the early stages of training camp or maybe a week or two in, I think they'll be okay because, once again, he has that knowledge and experience from being with the team last season within the system. And both sides know each other. Barkley knows the coaches, and the coaches know what he can do well and what he needs to work on. So it's not as if it's a feel-it-out type of process like it was at this time last season. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. So, all right. We're waiting for uh, for Aaron. So in the meanwhile, why don't we get to the call? So if you want guys want to get in, we got about 15 minutes here until our next guest, Don Bailey, uh, from Miami, the radio analyst, is joining us at 1. So unless we hear from Aaron in the meantime, we'll get to your calls at 201-939-4513. Don't forget, folks, go subscribe to the Giants Huddle Podcast. Uh, interviews with Giants players and coaches, but right now we're really focusing on the draft. So we have great analysts, former GMs, you name it, coming on the show. Uh, former scout Brian Broadus is going to get posted tomorrow. Friday, we're going to have Charles Davis. Bucky Brooks next week. We're working on a couple other former NFL personnel people as well. So make sure you go subscribe to the Giants Little Podcast. You can find on the Giants app, podcast platforms everywhere. And same for draft season. Tony Pauline and I do all NFL draft talk, not even necessarily Giants specific, 
but it's just all draft stuff. We have one episode a week. It just posted today. We go beyond the top five and top ten on our offensive position groups. We go a little bit deeper on the draft. Again, go subscribe to the Giants uh, Draft Season podcast. Just search for Draft Season on your favorite podcast platforms. And for all our podcasts, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please, I'm begging you, it helps us a lot. Leave a five-star positive review. It takes only a second. We don't need a big description. Just click the five stars. It helps. If you do have a fun description, send it in, screenshot it. We'll read it on the air and give you some props. So we appreciate it, guys. 201-939-4513. Scott of New Mexico was on the line first. He will be our first caller today. Scott, what's going on? Well, you just caught me shaving because they told me I wasn't going on until 115, so I just got the shaving cream off, and now I can talk to you guys. <laughs> okay, we didn't Excellent. know we were going to get a play-by-play description of what the callers are actually doing. I'm just happy the all you're so. doing was shaving, Scott. i got to yeah. be honest with you. Okay. Uh, Do you have a favorite shaving cream? All right, don't answer that. No, Never no, mind. We don't have a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it might be a sponsor, exactly. Yes. Uh, my question is this. Um, everything you guys have been saying for the last couple of weeks has been really insightful. But one of the things I wanted to address, uh, again, is that 25th pick. And one of the things I'm a little concerned about, the Giants overall were, I think, 17th against, uh, over, uh, 17th overall defensive-wise. But when you look a little closer, uh, their rush defense was one of the worst in the NFL, and I think they were giving up like 5.2 yards yep. on first down. And it's a little deceiving because Dexter Lawrence – and uh, Leonard Williams are there, but then once you get behind those two guys, there's nobody. And they did get Bobby O'Carrick in, in the uh, trade, but uh, they need more help there. And I'm wondering what the 25th pick. I know somebody suggested Nolan Smith as a possibility, but I think they got to shore up that rush defense because if you can't stop the run, it doesn't matter about anything else. Because unless you're Patrick, you know, have a Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow who can overcome those kind of things, you're going to get really creamed. And the real key for me is what can the Giants do if a major player, I know we talked about the guy from Pittsburgh, there were some other guys, defensive line people, as well as linebackers. Do you think that's a real need for these guys on the 25th pick, whoever they decide to pick, because they have to show up that rush Yes, defense. you need to improve the rush defense, Scott. I do not pick a run defender. Yeah. That's his primary job in the first round. It's just not something okay. I do, and Lance and I have talked about this before. It's just something where you have to be able to rush the passer if I'm picking you at 25. That's why Dexter Lawrence at 15, you're like, yeah, it's a good pick, as long as he develops as a pass rusher. And guess what? He developed as a pass rusher, and I don't think – you have a two-way defensive tackle at 25 that I would be willing to pick there. But I okay. think I think you could – look, you could find a guy that can help you stop the run on day two or even round four, something like that, if you want it, and, and that's okay. But I would not pick a guy whose primary job is stopping the run at 25, and I personally don't think there's any you know, traditional off-ball linebacker that is good enough in that spot either that I would pick at 25. Yeah, because, Scott, okay. you brought up, or at least you were referencing Kalijah Kansi. I don't think he's going to be there at 25. He's also not a run stopper. Correct. No, but he's one of those two-way guys where you can use him on the edge and you can move him inside. So yes. there's an appeal in terms of his versatility. I'm not sure he's even on the field on first and second down his first year. At least inside, well, he's only 280 pounds. Sure, but, I mean, he's being compared to Aaron Donald, and I think he well, has some I, of those traits. I think that's a stupid comparison. Well, listen, he comes from he comes from the same <laughs> I know. School, so that's obviously I, why they're making those comparisons. I know, and I get it. Sure. I'm, not calling, I'm not saying you're making the no, comparison, no, of course. obviously. Sure. But if you just look at his body compared to Aaron Donald, even when Aaron Donald was at the Combine coming out, he does not play with nearly the amount of power that sure. Aaron Donald did. I think first year, maybe two, Kansi's a 
pass rushing only player. I think it's taken some time to, to be able to play the run. Well, but once again, it can still turn out to be a very good pick. If sure. Within two yeah, to three 100%. years, you get that versatility out of him. Remember, oh, yeah. look, and, you're not and, just drafting him for 2023. No, look, and I was okay. just talking in reference to Scott talking in oh, no, terms no, no. of needing I, I know exactly to help the going. run defense. Sure. Yeah. Is Kansi yeah, is, 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 is worth a 25th pick in the first round? Sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And if the Giants picked him, I'd be fine with it because I think next to Dexter Lawrence long term, I think that's actually a decent combination of players. The I was just talking in terms piece, of yeah. a context of run defense. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't be a guy you would attack Well, in the there's first no round. point of drafting somebody in the first round or you're going to take off the field on third down. I right, mean, It's correct. pointless. You're not getting good okay. bang for your buck. And Kansi's the guy you want on the field on third yeah. down because he's such a good pass. Which is what I was correct. referencing, yes. of course, earlier. 100%. So, yes. you know, Scott, I understand you're looking at it through the lens of what the Giants' needs are, and I get that, but when you're in the draft room and you're the Giants, right. you have to balance the need of the team and the value of the pick. Correct. And no, I, I don't think the value matches up with some of the needs that you threw out because Hello? you can get a linebacker and you can get a run stopper on the defensive line in the later rounds. You don't need to use the 25th overall pick to do that. Okay, last question because I know you're probably going to take some guy real fast. Uh, obviously, there's a big need for cornerback. Uh, I don't know what Dory Jackson's doing next year. Is there a possibility, there's about four or five guys you've mentioned in the top tier, would it make sense for the Giants to trade a draft pick for next year to move up, uh, maybe a second or a third round pick, to try to move up in the draft to see if they can get one of those cornerbacks? And is that a viable possibility? And I'll take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks. Well, remember, it depends on how much they love the fourth overall cornerback, let's say. I mean, under your hypothetical, let's say we're at the 18th pick, okay? And three of the corners are off the board. Well, the question is, how do the Giants feel about the top three corners in relation to number four or number five? And can you live with number four or number five? And are you willing to then give up other draft capital? If the answer is yes, then sure. I don't think there's any harm in moving up. But it could also be one of those situations like Mac Jones, for example. I know that's a completely different position at quarterback, but if you remember, there was speculation, oh, New England should make a move, they need a quarterback, and what happened? They preached patience, and Mac Jones was still on the board when they were ready to go at 15. So maybe the Giants, they're monitoring the quarterback positions, and they figure, okay, the fourth and the fifth guy on our board, John, we like. There's not a huge difference. Then why are you moving up and sacrificing a pick? I would say stay where you are, and perhaps the cards will fall into place that you'll be able to get that player. And I think corner makes a lot of sense in the first round if it adds up because it's definitely a position where you need it this year and you need to protect yourself for future years. Yeah, it's a huge need. I'm generally not in favor of trading up unless you're trading up for a quarterback. And I think that's the spot or a truly elite player that's going to change things and is head and shoulders above everybody else and, you know— even non-quarterbacks that are that good, I, I just think you stay, you know, you sit and pick. There's always going to be a really good player available when you pick. You just got to pick the right guy. And I think moving up for non-quarterbacks, it rarely works, to be quite honest with you. Well, that's what I said. It depends on what you have to give up. Yeah, well, of I course. Mean, you know, once again, if you have to give up a pick in a future year or maybe, I mean, granted, Giants have a high volume of picks. I'm not saying that a seventh rounder is going to do it, of course. But if you feel that next year you're not going to get an equal player to who you would move up to get. I think that's part of the conversation too, John. Yeah. And then maybe I'd be willing to do that. But I don't think, once again, I'm talking about more of if you're even willing to entertain moving up, you're not thinking about that, John, until maybe pick 19 or 20 comes up. Oh, yeah. 
you know, why are you even thinking about that when the 15th overall pick is on the clock? Correct. I don't think you need to be that aggressive under those circumstances. 100% I'm with you. And I think if you're a Super Bowl contender and you think there's one player that could put you over the top, maybe that's when you start thinking about it and you're thinking late in a round and you're trading a late-round pick that, you know, a mid-round pick even that's probably not going to get on the field for you because your roster's so good. I could see that also being kind of a kind of a path you take. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Cliff in New York. He's up next. Cliff, what's going on? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Yep. Um, I did some homework last week uh, about centers already in the league because I was curious, like the caller yesterday, about how these guys were drafted. And I, I looked at the playoff teams uh, from this past season, and only five of the 14 teams had a center that was drafted as a center. And among those, um, two of them were the teams ahead of us in the division, uh, but they drafted their centers in the sixth round and the fourth round. And uh, among the other teams, uh, the the all-pro from the Chargers was drafted in the fifth round. And uh, Well, they the got him via free agency, though, keep in mind. You're talking about Corey Lindsley from the Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Packers, yeah, yeah, but it, he looks, but he was he was drafted as a as a center in the fifth round. Sure, no, but my and, point is that they didn't draft him. My point is the Chargers invested right. money in him as a free right. agent. And, so and, right, and, and that came up that came up with Buffalo also with with Morris. Mitch Morse. Yep, yeah, but he was he was drafted as a guard. Uh, uh, so among the, those five teams, uh, the the two in our division. Um, uh, the, the, the Seahawks guy, uh, Hunt, was drafted in the sixth round. And um, uh, well, Creed, Vikings, Creed, Creed Humphrey was a, was a second-round pick, Brad, and the Vikings Bradbury was a first-round pick, right? Yeah, and here's the other thing. Um, if Travis right. Frederick doesn't retire, he's probably still the starting center for the Cowboys, right, and correct. he was a first-round right. pick. That's correct, too. And Creed was listed as an OL where I looked. No, nah, he, he, he was a center. Yeah, he was a center. He was a center. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Well, then the big one that really interested me, though, was the 49ers. The guy they just re-upped, he was a, he was a college center at UCLA. Remind me, who is but, it again? Brendel, you're talking about? Uh, 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 Brendel, Jeff yeah, Brendel. Okay. Got yeah. it. He was a free agent. He was a free agent like Nick Gates. And the other thing I noticed uh, running through the rosters uh, was that Nick Gates was 6'5". I didn't know he was that tall. Yeah, he's a big dude. Remember, he, he played yeah, tackle. Well, well, Gates played tackle in college, so he, he was another guy that kind of converted down. Right. Well, then I, I just took a quick look at All-Pro and Pro Bowl the last two years, and, and uh, you know, um, it's, it's Lindsley and, and the guy down the turnpike, and, and Ragnow from the Lions was a first-round pick. Um, but well, th- that seems to be the outlier. You Ragnow know, but, also uh, drafted as a center. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and the Colts. Uh, Ryan Kelly. Colster, you're right. He was a center. Yep. But um, uh, Morse and Humphrey were the other guys from the, from the Pro Bowls. So uh, it looks to me like uh, it isn't that much to worry about not not having a, a blue chip center uh, in the early rounds, uh, from what I could see. No, look, you you you, you can get centers later in the draft. You don't have to pick them in the first round. Yeah. But, you well, know, a I, lot of that I, is also where they ended up and how they were developed, too. Sure, of course. So, you know, yeah. that's a big part of the equation. But that's why you talk about position value and how they're you – know, look, you can go – I mean, Corey Lindsley, I forget what his contract number was, but you went and you go sign the Pro Bowl center for something that doesn't come close to breaking the bank. Like, you, yeah. can, you can just do that, which is why the argument is in the first round you pick positions of greater value because they're impossible to find – 
for a decent price when you get to free agency, and that's the best way to build your team. Or those guys never even make it to free agency 100%. because they're given the franchise tag, too. Right. Well, overall, I didn't see any, you know, I was thinking there, there seemed to be a little bit too much panic about having a hole at center, and I, I thought I saw a quote on from Joe Shane recently on the website. Uh, he, he's certainly not worried. He thinks Bredesen uh, can, can do the job. So it seems like the longer-term thing is to get a, uh, a more elite center, and the way that, that everybody else did that is in the later rounds or through free agency, it looks like, or converting them from a guard most often. Yeah, I, I think that you laid out evidence, but, you know, once again, I, I don't think the Giants, they had a plan. They knew there was a chance, I'm sure, that Nick Gates and Feliciano were going to leave in free agency, and they figured we're going to have some internal candidates. I mentioned with Paul the other day, they added J.C. Hassenhauer, who was with the right. Steelers and has some starting experience. So there's a veteran with actual experience at the position of need, and they could very well draft and have a competition and let the best man win. And they have guys that are interchangeable on the interior of the offensive line because, you know, whether or not a guy played center or not, you still need somebody on the roster who could play guard and center because you never know what's going to happen with injuries as there's no guarantee that even the guy you have penciled in to play center is going to be able to suit up for all 17 games. So I think they have some options, and if they add a little bit more youth, that'll add a little bit more intrigue into the mix, and you have these guys compete, and you let the best man win. Do you think if Nick Gates was 6'2 or 6'3, he'd still be here? No, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Yeah, I don't think the height. I think Thank it came they down. They were talking about people being too tall. The guy had the, the lead prospect in the draft is 6'6. People are concerned. No, I mean, look, I think that's, I think that's when you're evaluating – traits of players coming out you saw Nick Gates on the field in the NFL able to play center at that size and and Cliff thanks a lot for the call we appreciate it so no I don't think that has anything to do with their decision to to let him go I think it was just a money thing and yeah. he got a lot of guaranteed money good for Nick I'm thrilled for him I'm yeah. gonna miss him but great dude and he deserves it given his injury history it's hard to blame a guy no absolutely not all right let's get back to our uh, prospect interviews and we're going to go to Don Bailey of Miami radio analyst also a former NFL and Miami center Don you got John Schmuck and Lance Metalper in East Rutherford New Jersey how are you doing today we're doing great, man. Enjoying uh, our Florida weather down there. I hope it's treating you guys okay up there. Hey, we're actually hitting 80 degrees today, yeah, man. Yeah, we have Florida weather. We <laughs> are rocking and rolling. It is springtime rock and roll. And let's start with Tyreek Stevenson, Don. Um, he's a guy that I know some people really like. They have him as an early second-round pick, maybe even sneaking into the back end of round one. When I watched the tape, I certainly saw the traits. I think I also saw some inconsistency there. Give me your thumbnail overview of Tyreek Stevenson watching him play on the field this year. Obviously a uh, transfer uh, coming in there. Yeah, I think the, the important thing is, is to realize where from. He's one of the top players coming out of the state of Florida, out of high school, and then years. Now, you know, was mostly – all right, Don, uh, we're going to try to call you back. He appears, so why don't you put him back on all? Tell him he's breaking up a little bit. We'll try to reconnect there with Don and uh, let him know what's going on, and we'll try to take that from scratch there. Florida might have nice weather, but apparently not <laughs> not very good cell phone reception. Yeah, the towers are perhaps a little off-key today uh, based on the weather. Yeah, I, I think they might be sweating a little bit. So we, we, we will try to get him back up. And just real quick on Stevenson. You know, he's a guy that, that showed up at the senior ball. I thought he was kind of off and on a little bit. I think he was okay. Um, but he's a guy that I think does have a lot of stuff he needs to work on. He he I think what he would Don was trying to be better now, Pearson. 
All right, so why don't we go back now? We'll, we will try Don again. Don, apologies for interrupting you, but we could only hear like every third or fifth word you were saying, so it, it wasn't much use to anybody. So why don't we start over? Give me a little thumbnail of, uh, of, of Tyreek Stevenson. Well, I like the fact that, you know, he's a, he's a South Florida kid, grew up playing against top competition in, uh, in the city of Miami, and then he went to Georgia and immediately got on the field the first two years. So, I mean, that's impressive to me when you're able to do that at a, at a program of that level. And then he transfers back to the University of Miami, and right away he's a starter. You know, he was, he was uh, one of the top corners on the team. And the thing that impressed me about him is, is his size. I don't think people realize that he's a legit 6'1 and change, and he's dropped some weight. He's worked on his speed, but, he, but he's lean, and he, he is not bashful when it comes to striking the receiver. And he has had some positive effects, uh, had a couple negatives too, but um, he's not afraid to play special teams. I think that's going to be something that he can help an NFL team right away. Is he's, He would be good on the return teams as well as coverage teams. But, you know, he's matched up against receivers at, uh, in both the ACC and the Southeastern Conference, and he's held his own. And, and you guys know, it, it's hard to find a guy that can play corner that's as big as he is yeah. and can run. And, he, and he's lost some weight, which has helped his speed. He, at the pro day we had on campus about uh, two or three weeks ago, he looked real good at that. Uh, he didn't participate in everything, but what he did participate in, he looked great at. It seemed as if at Georgia, Don, they utilized him in the slot, and then when he came to Miami, he moved to the outside. So how did you think he made that transition to the outside when he came to the Hurricanes, and how much do you think he can maybe be utilized both inside and outside at the NFL level? Well, I think there's proof, you know, because he has tape at both, and I think that's important when you're going to the National Football League. The more you can do, the better, and I think that's that's where – He's going to help himself more than anybody. Is he's got a he's got enough experience uh, on the outside uh, the last two years, and then um, and then he's worked on the inside as we talked about the Southeastern Conference. But you know he, he matches up at both positions I, with his size, and he has the quickness and speed to go with it. He's going to be able to handle any t- any type of wide receiver. You know I think he's he's become better suited on the outside because the interior guys, the, the slot guys are so quick. You know, it's, it's almost a different style of athlete. But with, but he brings uh, a side to him that I don't think we've talked about enough. He is very good in the run game. I mean, he, he, did, he, didn't, he rarely turned anything down. He was a powerful hitter and, made, and had a good understanding of it as well. Yeah, no question about it. And I think you're right. His traits are, are great. His size is tremendous. He ran a four four five at the combine. It checks the box there. In terms of technique on the field play, Don, where do you think he needs to work on his technique and improve his consistency? Because even when I watched him up close at the Senior Bowl, he got very grabby first couple of days, got caught throwing a lot of flags on him. Guys were running by him a little bit. So in terms of the art of playing corner, where are the things that he's really good at and what are the things he needs to work on? You know, guys, I think, you know, alignment is always something that's important at that position. You know, you've got to, you've got to trust your coaching on that, and you've got to trust your film study. He's going to, as I mentioned, if, you, if you're lining up inside, you're going to deal with, with guys that are so, so quick. And one way to combat that is you've got to have great hands. You've got to stop that guy at the line of scrimmage. You have to have the ability to reroute him. He's strong enough to do that. But I think it's really more going to be just an adjustment period. I, I don't mind a guy getting early when he's going up to the next level because he's protected himself. And then 
if he can't adjust, then you have a problem. But Tyreek will adjust because he's proven that he's got that top-end speed. I don't know that he's, he's got the top-end quickness that you want um, on, on the initial first couple steps, but he certainly can go stride for stride with people. And, you know, the other thing is that spot, you've got to be able to locate the football. Yeah. And there were times sure. when he did a very good job of that. No, I think you bring up a great point, Don. Actually, that was going to be my next question because I think when we look at interception numbers in college, it doesn't necessarily always tell the whole story as a digit on an island because sometimes maybe the corner wasn't targeted a lot. He played a lot of man, and it's difficult to obviously rack up interceptions under that defensive alignment. So you look at the fact he had three picks over the course of his collegiate career. How much do you think that's a product of technique, as you were alluding to, not enough of an opportunity, or the fact that he's just not an overly opportunistic player? You know, I don't think no one would realize this except probably me, but Miami, you know, last year, they didn't have much of a pass rush. And guys, the picks come a lot with based sure. on your pass rush. You know, so I didn't see that there was a ton of quarterback pressure applied by Miami. I think that uh, that has something to do with it. I don't think anybody's happy with a, with three picks. You know, you, you've got had a safety on the team, Cam Kitchens. We'll be talking about him next year. He had six. So, I mean, that's, that's, a, big, that's a big, big difference. But that's something that, you know, there are a lot more dynamics worked into that equation than people just look at. You look up, oh, the guy didn't have enough picks. Well, how was his pass rush? Yeah. How were the defensive yeah. tackles? Were they able to flush a quarterback? What were they able to do? To the offense to force that where they does they have not have enough picks because they were staying away from them you know truthfully the number it's i understand the number because i've been watching them play but i would prefer to see a lot more picks but there are reasons why it didn't happen no 100 percent, totally get it and look interceptions is 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 very dependent on what's going on around you to your point don 100 agree i want to jump over to will mallory your tight end on offense and I think trade-wise, again, he checks all the boxes. I think he was impressive when I've seen him up close run around a little bit. 6'4", 240, ran a 4'5", 440. Uh, what do you see from Will Mallory, and what would he bring to an NFL field for whatever team that drafts him? Well, I'm going to talk about the person first. Yeah, please. I, whoever, whoever gets Will Mallory will never have a worry in their life about character, about the ability to learn, about practice habits, about game day habits. He, he is he, he is an A-plus in every single category. And then you go, well, how did he do on the field? He did extremely well this year. He, has, he, has, he had had some injury, but he has always overcome every single injury. And what I mean by that is he works, a relentless worker. The minute if he was hurt, he was always on the bike. He was always in rehab. He would do anything extra to get on the field. He is, he is as top-notch a human being as there's ever been at the University of Miami. And he has developed himself into a very, very good tight end. And I mean, as far as a focus goes, he was probably the number one focus last year in the passing game on the offense, and deservedly so. The pro day that we just had a couple weeks ago that I mentioned previously, he lit it up. He caught every single ball ran perfect routes. I think whatever people thought of him from the combine to the on-campus pro day, he elevated himself after that pro day with the catches that he made, how he performed, how he aligned, and it, it was really a one-man show. There, it was him making rep, going rep after rep and coming up 
with some spectacular catches. But he, you know, with him, you you know, the t- it depends what kind of tight end you want. If you want a guy that's going to be there on third down and you're going to have to block the defensive ends or you're going to have to go with block down against the big linebackers, he's probably not your guy. But if on third down, if you want to flex him out or put him in the backfield and motion him around and create mismatches, he's positively your guy. He's trustworthy, and I think he will be an asset. And he's going to be it's going to it's going to be hard for somebody to not want him on the team. If you just spend five minutes with the kid, you know you're never going to have to worry about any character issues or for or any work ethic or any of those things. He's going to be one of the leaders on your team. It's just in today's in today's NFL, the tight end is almost a specialty position, in my opinion. They're either going to be the, they're either going to be the guys with their hand in the dirt, or they're yep. going to be guys that are are hybrid wide receivers, or you know they're they're a big part of the passing game. And he will be a big part of the passing game. And he's not bashful when it comes to blocking. He'll he's going to go into it. He's going to move his feet. He's going to get his face in there. Just doesn't he just doesn't have you know the, the overall strength to make uh, to be able to pin pin down an NFL defensive end. That makes sense. Well, and it's appealing that his numbers, to your point, improved each of the last five years. You like to see that, especially as somebody that can maybe show some versatility at the next level. Don, I actually want to ask you something we brought up earlier in the conversation because we were talking about the center position and who better to ask that to than an individual that is suited up at that position in college in the NFL. And the Giants could be looking to address that in the draft. I'm curious from your perspective, how much does size serve as a detriment when you're evaluating a prospect that's center. What I mean is, if a guy's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, is that a concern that he's maybe too big for the position under center? If, if he can move, he's not too big. It, 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 I mean, that's where the tape comes in. I, I think the bigger, the better. I mean, this is a, that's a big man sport. I mean, big big men can knock smaller men around. And I think, and if you're 6'6", six, six, I mean, I played the game I was 6'4", and I didn't have any problems with it, and I think uh, I don't think there's a problem at six six if you're athletic, and you know so much of that depends on on how well uh, you, you are in your hips. If you're flexible and you can get movement and you've got great hands, and you know if you're six six and you got arms that, that fit a guy that's five foot five, that probably doesn't work out well. <laughs> but I've seen sure. I've seen I've seen you know some, they've experimented. We've got a, a guy here that you're going to be talking to me about next year. His name is Jalen Rivers. They've got him playing uh, left tackle, he, and he's six foot five, three hundred and forty pounds. And Coach Alex Mirabal, the offensive line coach, and Coach Cristobal, they believe that every offensive lineman needs to know how to play every single position. Well, they bounced him in to center uh, at, towards the end of, uh, I mean, during spring camp and some off-season drills. He's a natural at it. So I, I've just witnessed it with my own eyes. He's a six foot five guy, and he's three thirty, and he he's fine because he's proportioned, and he moves well, and he's athletic. But I wouldn't. If you could find a guy that's six foot six, it's like it's, you know Brian McKinney. We thought Brian McKinney was too big to play tackle. Well, he gave up his back in three years. You know when he was at Miami. So I, I don't I don't buy into that. If they're an athlete and they're a football player and they understand the position. 
I, I, I take a 6'6 guy in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I think the reason Lance asked the question is that sometimes people do worry about having that natural leverage at 6'6, especially at center after snapping the ball and letting guys get under your pads a little bit. But to yeah. your point, if they're athletic enough and they can get low and they can create that leverage, I'm with you. I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a game changer at all. A couple other guys. I fr- think it would be hard for a guy. I think it would be hard for a guy to, if he, if he grew up at that position, if he grew up as a guard or, or a center, and he grew up there, and, under, and he's been big his whole life, he understands the importance of leverage. If you're going to right. take a guy that's 6'6 or 6'7 who's never been in an interior offensive lineman, well, then it's a whole other game. Because, you know, on the outside, when you're playing tackles, you're dropping back. You're not yep. dealing with people most of the time right on top of you. No, great point, Don. I think that's a great point. Uh, I'll throw out two other names, but you can do the same. Frank Ladson, the wide receiver. Uh, Mitchell Agudi, the defensive lineman. Anybody else, and you can give me a little thumbnail on those two guys, come out of Miami that you think people should be keeping their eyes on uh, in terms of the draft? No, I have to tell you, you really hit, you hit on the main two. Uh, I, I, you really hit on the main two. I think that's uh, the, um, the, the main two guys that are going to be focused on by the NFL. You know, there's no telling what people – are going to do free agent wise. I think that there's some guys on the, on the roster that they can help an NFL team if they're at the right place at the right time. But whoever drafts both either of those two players, they're going to get they're going to get quality athletes that have a ton of both of those young men got a ton of experience. I mean, you, Mallory's going to leave. He had a chance if he didn't get dinged up two years ago, he would have left here as uh, the leading uh, leading receiver at tight end in the history of the program. So I mean that says a lot because Miami's had some guys named Shockey and Bubba Franks and sure. and there's guys that have come out of here that have done a great job. So um, I, you know both of them I think will will help an NFL team and I think both of them make an NFL team. You good? Absolutely. I think he hit it on the nose. Absolutely. Don, awesome stuff, man. We really appreciate the time. As you mentioned it, enjoy that Florida weather. Thank you very much. And before we say goodbye, do you have any good Jeff Fiegel stories for us so I can get on <laughs> Jeff Fiegel's? No? Uh, he's, he's, he's still kicking, isn't he? Oh, he yeah. Is. He, oh, yeah. He, he's, he's, actually on, he's actually on the men from knee replacement. All those kicks finally caught up with him. <laughs> Uh, best, he had the longest career of anybody I ever knew. He, yep. no, he's done a great he was great. He had a great career. He, he did indeed. Career. Absolutely. Don, awesome stuff, man. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Okay. And enjoy that weather. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate it, Don. Uh, thank you. Don Bailey, former uh, NFL in Miami Center. Um, and really good talking to him. And I, I thought it was smart for you to ask that question about the center position. Well, he was somebody that I think could at least provide some insight yeah, given the bit. fact that he played uh, the position and it was relevant. And, you know, once again, you would ask about those two other guys. Miami just does not have as much depth as we've seen in previous years in I terms of this class. Last year, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, you take a look and you wonder why the program hasn't been as successful. Well, well there you go. At, well, I was going to say, there's a reason why they just brought in Mario Cristobal because yeah. they want him to bring the program back to respectability. And, oh, by the way, not a surprise that Don was talking about how Mario prioritizes guys knowing every position. He did the same thing yep. Oregon, mm-hmm. right? When we had conversations with him, talking about Shane Lemieux. And Alabama when he was there Correct. as an line coach. So yeah. it's no surprise. You have a tendency as a mm-hmm. coach, you're going to apply that to your new slot. And sometimes it takes time for yeah. you to get the prospects that you want to bring in the level of players that you think are going to reshape the program. So I think we're starting to see that where they're scratching the surface, but it may take another year or two till we get back to the level that we're used yeah. to seeing out of Miami. Piers, you can try Aaron one more time. If he picks up, we can try to do Texas here before the end of the show. Otherwise, get on the line, folks. Uh, and we'll take your calls for the final 13 minutes at 201-939-4513, 201 
800-919-4513. Get on the horn. We'll take your calls. We'll talk some Giants football uh, with you. And it's amazing. Like If you had told me, my 20-year-old self in 2001, who witnessed you know kind of a, the, the string of Florida dominance in football, whether it was Miami in the late 80s, early 90s, then sure. to Florida State, then to Florida with Tim Tebow. Then you got back with those Miami teams that had all those players with uh, Butch Davis down there that we would have been going here for what a good five, six, seven years, Lance, with no Florida team even, like, making noise. I mean, uh, what was the small school Florida team two years ago that almost made the Final Four because they were undefeated? Florida You're Atlantic? talking about basketball we're talking no, about? No, I'm talking about football. football. Was, was, wasn't, wasn't there a smaller school uh, Florida program that went undefeated, but they were in a small conference and they didn't make the, the, the college football playoff? And I can't. Yeah, you talk about Central Florida. CFU. Central Florida. CFU. CFU. Thank you. Yeah, CFU. Yeah, if you would have told me Central yeah. Florida had the best year of any Florida school over a seven-year period, oh, yeah. I would have said, "What happened to How Miami, the Florida, and Florida State?" Because we went through a fifteen-year period where they were every year one of those three teams was like a top-five team in the country, sure. and it just it's falling apart down there. It's crazy. Well, and that's what happens when you have a revolving door of coaches once, you know, Urban Meyer left Florida yep. mm-hmm. and Miami obviously has had its fair share of changes because it's interesting. You talking about this topic in the NBA and in other professional sports, the NFL, we see teams go through a period of success and then they drop off. Yeah. That's the nature of the beast. College, it's unlikely that happens, right? Because if you could continue to recruit. If you have the same coach, yes. As mm-hmm. long as the coach doesn't move, it's really, it's going to be routine. But you're seeing a drop-off from the Miamis and the Floridas of the world, once again, because we're experiencing a lot of change with respect to both of those programs, and that'll do it I mean, on the so, collegiate level. There's so many of the best. I mean, you look at the NFL draft every year and where kids grew up. Oh, it's, it's, it's Florida. Yeah. It's California. It's Texas. Those are the three places where you're going to get. I'll throw in Georgia, too, a yeah, little. And, yeah, and, and also Louisiana has some really good prospects. Yep. But it's those, it's those schools as those states, right? And for the Florida to not be able to get enough any of those Florida schools and not be able to get players from those areas, it's 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 amazing. Again, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Hopefully you can get in. We have open lines, folks. We'll get right to you. There's no waiting, uh, no hanging out. We'll, we will get to you uh, as soon as humanly possible here, Lance. You are going to say something. Well, I was going to say, related to what you were talking about, I think one of the biggest challenges in college sports, I'll apply basketball logic to this too, is – can you keep the best talent in-house yeah. within your program, right? And I'm going to bring up, I'm going to go off topic a little bit, but I'm going to bring up basketball. St. John's, for example, okay, which just hired Rick Pitino. The issue for the Red Storm for many years is that they lose the best talent in New York City. Which isn't as and, good as it used to be either. By but, the way, but still, yes. there's good enough talent. Listen, yes. if you do your homework, there's good enough talent to retain those players here, and they wind up they going out of state. So that's a challenge that Rick Pitino is going to have to take on. And once again, I understand we're focusing on football, but I think it was relevant NBA to what you were start discussing. Next week. Lance, they do. On okay, that too? so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we'll throw in you know the wide open field and the playing games tonight, which we'll continue after some uh, wacky endings last night. But in all seriousness, I think it applies 100% to the logic of recruiting in football. If you're a school in Florida, you do not want to see the Floridians wind up going to Texas right. or, or going to California. Yeah. I mean, to his point, Tyreek Stevenson, Miami kid. Where do you go to school? Yeah, he started in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, now you brought him back. Right. But still, you want him to start there and yeah. finish. Exactly. And the funny yeah. thing about Tyreek Stevenson, by the way, is that he was being kept to, and you asked the correct question, 
He was playing inside at Georgia. He trapped behind Keely Ringo. He leaves Miami or leaves Georgia going to Miami to play outside. And now I think there's a real chance he gets picked before Keely Ringo on draft night on day two. Because once again, you could argue he was exposed now to another position, essentially, at corner. That makes him a little bit more appealing. You got multiple film. And he played just as well as Ringo did outside. If not, maybe depending on what you favor and what you like, maybe a little bit better from time to time. So I think it's interesting that, you know, that might happen. And that's why, and look, and that's why the transfer portal is good, right? There are some things about the transfer portal that you don't like. It kills continuity. <laughs> Guys show up wild, as wild mercenaries for one year and they leave and this stuff. It's hard to, you know, especially it's worse in basketball than it is in football. Oh, boy, is it Basketball is a disaster. Uh, you know, you got these poor mid-major programs that develop these kids for two and years them, and yeah. then they lose them. It stinks. But, that's the good part of it, right? And, you know, for a guy like Char- like if Charlie Jones did not have the transfer porter and he was stuck in that Iowa offense, right, through no fault of his own, he, he last year in Iowa he had 30-something catches. He goes to Purdue, he is 115, and he's going to be a day-two pick. He would have been a priority free agent at best if he was still at Iowa. So that's why the transfer porter, I think, helps. And I think the other part of it, too, not again, not to get into the weeds— you know, no, let's N- get in the weeds. I'm all for it. NIL stuff. I have what, however you feel about it. I think it will keep kids in school a little bit longer that really aren't ready to come out. Yeah, because they're at least getting a little bit of money to help their family if their family really needs it in college. And I think you saw fewer underclassmen this year come out. Like the fact that Jared Verse, who is again we talk about the Florida schools, right? Awesome pass rusher for Florida State. He transferred from Albany. He would have been a top 10 pick this year. He stayed in school. And I think NILs do help with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of these guys are making six figures. So why are they going to jump the gun and go through the draft if they can actually make some decent money while being in school? So that's a game changer. What's also a game changer connected to the transfer portal I was going to bring up is they eliminated the rule. Now there's limitations, but you don't have to sit out a year Mm -hmm. after you change schools. So there's actually there's more of an appeal to move. Whereas back in the day, you would think, all right, do I want to sit and be a spectator? No, I can move to another program. They're going to give me more playing time, and you're going to tell me I can play immediately? Absolutely. Sign me up. All the downside was taken out of it. Yeah, and and Mm -hmm. that's the negative because, you know, once again, I think you don't have an excuse to have to deal with adversity anymore and maybe build up some of that toughness where you pay your dues to move up the depth chart or you realize, hey, the scheme is right for you. You just got to be a little bit more patient. It becomes easy to bail Yeah, if the thing Without isn't going exactly right. It's a comfort that's built into right. the collegiate landscape. But I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say this. You know, I think in some ways, like I said, you don't like it. But then for a kid that goes to a school, recruited by a coach, that coach leaves, well, why should that kid then be no, punished and, and for having the same? 100%. So there are definitely sure. two sides to the equation where there's – yeah. Sadly, you know, shockingly, not everything's black and white. And there's actually no. gray areas with things no. where it's good in some ways and bad in others. Well, so. and I think you do bring up a great point yeah. because, you know, once again, the old story was, well, college coaches could change schools and there's no repercussions or consequences, right. whereas there were for players. So I get that. This has balanced out the scale a little yeah, bit. 100%. And sometimes, even though my best advice would be I would not pick 
a school or a program simply because of the coach. It's I know hard, that's yeah, the coach is the program yeah, in a I, lot of I, ways. I get that, but the problem is that when the coach leaves after a year, no, I know. okay, and then mm-hmm. you're saying to yourself, okay, let's jump into the transfer portal, and it didn't exist. Well, I think that's why everyone goes to Georgia and Alabama because where are those coaches going? Nick Saban and Kirby. There is anywhere to go up. No, no, <laughs> I get it, but the problem is everybody can't go because well, yeah. eventually you're not going to have any playing time. Yeah, so you have to spread the wealth and go to other programs, but you know that's why you got to look at the academics, especially if you're not an NFL prospect guarantee. Mm -hmm. There's other things you have to take into consideration when picking a school, and I think lessons were learned the hard way prior to this transfer portal. All right, let's go to Doug and Glenn Falls. He'll wrap us up today as we get pulled out of the weeds. Doug, what's going on? Hi, Jen. I read, is Barkley refusing, really outright refusing to sign the tag? Well, he doesn't have to sign the tag right now. There's no level of urgency yeah. for him to sign the tag. The deadline, I don't know the exact date, but it's sometime in the middle of June. Yeah, well, first of all, oh, they still have until July 15th to work out a long-term deal. I, so, I'm sorry, July 15th, oh, not okay. June 15th. So, July I mean, 15th, that sorry. reason alone, Doug, I mean, why are you signing the tag? And then once again, even if he does play on the tag, he can sign it the day before the start of training camp, and there's no oh, harm okay. involved in that. And again, an emphasis, those are just according to reports. Sure. We'll see who's here and who's not on Monday. Hello? All right. I didn't realize yeah. that. Okay. Yes. Well, no, that's why we're glad we can hammer out and fill in some of the voids yeah. that are not always in the fine print. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate the call, Pierce. Why don't you get one more call up here, and we'll take one more call before we say goodbye here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. In the meantime, let's get some business out of the way. Take your fans to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. The Giants official connected TV streaming app Giants TV brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans Giants TV is free on Apple TV Roku Amazon Fire TV and the Giants mobile app Hugo in New Jersey will wrap us up today hi Hugo hey hey guys I I have a question that that I hope uh, you can clarify we have an answer Uh, hopefully we can uh, well I don't don't know sometimes my questions are kind of the Giants have not picked a linebacker in the first round since Carl Banks in 1985 that's that is Lance's answer to the question (laughs) so so let me preface this by saying as as I look at players for uh, for you know the mid rounds so so we we play two, two middle linebackers two off the ball linebackers and my question is are they interchangeable because i've heard someone discuss it as there's actually a true middle linebacker i guess tate crowder was in that he got replaced by james and then the other guys considered i don't know is it a weak side a will yeah Yeah. a will linebacker that's correct a a will linebacker so uh, so when i think about players playing off ball linebackers for the giants should I be thinking about different traits and profiles? So, in other words, there is one good more... question. Yeah. Now, Hugh, that's a good question. I think the traits you're looking for are the same. I think their roles and responsibilities are a little bit different. Um, like one guy would be more probably having to play more man-to-man coverage against the tight end. The other one maybe wouldn't. Right, and one guy would maybe blitz more. The way they have their gap responsibilities in the run game are a little bit different. But I would look at the two guys fairly similar if you're looking for traits in the draft, to be honest with you. Uh, 
Well, and also there's the sideline to sideline aspect, especially Mm -hmm. if he's a guy that's not necessarily manning the middle. You want to see if he can cover and hustle to maybe fill in the gaps when there's missed assignments elsewhere if he has that versatility and that skill set. Yeah, and Hugo, I don't think you probably want two 228-pound guys there. You probably want one that can be a little bit bigger and and take on blocks at the line of scrimmage in in a little bit of a bigger way. So I I do think there are, are slight differences there, and you want to have a balance between the two. And the other thing is that how often are those two linebackers on the field, right? I don't think both yeah, those right. linebackers have to be three-down linebackers. So I think you get the third down, you know, you take your bigger linebacker off the field that's maybe more of a plugger. That would be kind of like your Darian Beavers type, right, if he comes back from uh, injury. And, and, and you right. leave your quicker guy on the field, and then maybe your second linebacker is a safety, right, or however you want to cla- you know, classify your personnel package. And I think that's kind of how you look at it. That, that, that clarifies it for me. So when I think about it, uh, you know, I think, uh, for example, Karake and Beavers, which you alluded to, would complement um, each other pretty well yes. in that all-linebacker all scheme. Although Karake will be sort of the true middle, right, because he'll have the green dot. I, well, I imagine. Well, I mean, we, they, we don't know any of this yeah. yet. But, uh, Remember, yeah. a safety yeah. wore the green dot last year. So. Yeah, it would not shock exactly. me. If, yeah. It would not shock me if, if, if McKinney got the dot again. But, yes, I would consider Okarake – more of your more of your mic, I guess, for for lack of a better term. Okay, well, thank you so much. That was helpful. No, no problem. You go. That was a good question. Good call. And next time I have Howard on, I'll ask Howard that, or Carl, for that matter. I think they'd probably have a better answer than I do, to be quite honest with you. So the they, game has changed a lot since sure. they last played too. Sure, but they get it, and they both played against it in a three-four scheme. So yeah. I think that I think they would be good people to ask. You go. I'll make sure I'll I'll ask that to them. Maybe I'll ask O'Hara next time I have him too, if he can give a good answer on that. Lance, good stuff. Absolutely. You got Tomorrow, it. what do we have on the agenda? Tomorrow, we have a few more schools that we'll be covering. Do you want to give the schools? Do you have them or not yet? Well, it's called a teaser for a reason. Yeah, you tease people no, to we, get them excited about the schools. Them. Well, they can find out tomorrow when they tune in. With Texas schools. Tech and North Dakota. And there may be a third, though. There might see? be a third, But yes. I'm not going to commit to that because there's still negotiations. So in North Dakota, you have guys like Cody Mock, who could be a, a, okay. a, a very important pick on day two for the Giants. So there are, there are some players. And Texas Tech is big Tyree Wilson. Yes, who probably won't absolutely. be there when the Giants pick. But and they, those guys will all pick. be discussed on tomorrow's program. Yes. That I can guarantee you. That will come through. See, you're not on tomorrow's program, so I can understand why you have the itch to maybe throw out some well, food I want to get well, but We get a lot of... People are excited that maybe Cody Mock can be the Giants' next center in the second round. Possible. So if they're sure. excited about Cody Mock, there you go. now they not, know, I, tune in tomorrow. Well, I did not think that. He's got a big belly. He's got no front teeth. He's very excited. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, the person we're going to have on was already saying that if the Giants don't care about how many front teeth an individual has when it comes to a prospect, then he may be the guy. I said the last time I checked, when they evaluate the prospects, I don't think they're overly concerned Dental about records, the volume no. of teeth. And last time I checked, I think they have a pretty good relationship with some dental experts in the New York and now, the New Jersey region. Now, from an attitude, now, Nick Gates had all his teeth, but from like an attitude look yes. thing, Cody Mock would be a very nice replacement for Nick Gates. Remember, Nick Gates used to walk around camp with his front jersey rolled up and yeah, belly well, sticking out? Yeah, well, he definitely has the looks of a guy that likes to get down and dirty in the trenches. He's got the long hair. Sure. He's yeah. very, very, very Gatesy in terms of his look. Yeah, I don't think he'd fit in well in the New York Yankees lineup. As a result, but no, I think for he the Giants, have, he would have to do a lot of maintenance. <laughs> maintenance. <laughs> He'd have to pretty much uh, redo everything. Yes. I would say maintenance may not be a proper term under those circumstances. Yes, he would have to clean up his act. I think Tom Coughlin might have some grooming tips for him too, if 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 he was still the head coach. Yes, absolutely. So, All right, so if that's not a teaser, then I don't know what is at this point. Yeah, I, absolutely. Go. And who knows? Maybe we can try to grab our Texas guy tomorrow too, since he didn't call in today. Well, so we will figure that out. 
For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And then on Friday, we're going to have our mock draft, by the way. Lance, Paul, and I will be doing it. Um, and that should be fun as well. So make sure you tune in. We'll see you next time, everybody.